You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hello, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I am your host, Kristen Maxwell, and in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, I am excited to be talking to Erica Mather about a radical idea, and that is loving your body. And Erica Mather is a writer, speaker, educator, and yoga teacher. And using her own experiences and the embodiment principles from um, a type of yoga called forest yoga, Erica encourages her students to build a relationship with their bodies in service to their health and discovering their life's work. She is the author of Your Body, Your Best Friend, and The Confidence-Crushing Pursuit of Unrealistic Beauty Standards and Embrace Your True Power. And who among us could not use a little bit of this conversation, honestly? Anyway, Erica, welcome to Your Superpowered Mind. Thank you so much for having me, Kristen. It's wonderful to be here. Yes, it's very excited. I love the work that you're doing and um, what you where you've gone with it. And I want to go into that a little bit, but I always want to start with my first question, which is what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? Hmm. Trusting myself. Yeah, that is the superpower, trusting myself. And I think uh, this is something I long for other people to have as a superpower, too, is knowing that you can trust yourself um, in in day to day scenarios with other people and that you can trust yourself when you think about the trajectory of your life. Even if it seems murky or it seems foggy that you have a little like intuition and you know that even though there's no concrete evidence anywhere (laughs) to tell you that this intuition is correct, that you can trust yourself to know that it's correct and that you can stay the course and follow that intuition through to an inevitable end where I hope that you find out that you were right. Um, I've been exploring this myself and it, and it relates specifically to trusting the body because I think that trusting the body is intrinsic to trusting yourself because you can't trust yourself but sidestep your body because you are contained within your body. The self that you call self is housed within the body. So that's my superpower. That's a pretty great superpower. Thank you. It's I'm excited a, about it. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty good one. And um and what I wonder is, was there a, was there a challenge in getting to that point, or was it something you've always had? Hmm, that's a great question. I think, in certain regards, it's something I've always had. Uh, I used to play the piano professionally. I uh, was a musician. I, I wrote music, and I think, in terms of creativity, I learned to trust my creativity. But I think that having that trust like leap domains 
from like trusting your creativity to trusting your instincts in a relationship with a person or trusting your, your instincts. Like for me, like one of the big trust things was around my business actually was just trusting that I would land on my feet, you know, like no matter what, even if I'm not sure how I have a feeling that I am going in the right direction and I uh, will land on my feet and it may take a year, it may take two years, it may take five years to really play out, but just holding on to this sense of I can trust myself. I think that that kind of like trusting in my business or trusting in my relationships with other people is a little bit more current. Yeah. Creativity, creativity doesn't necessarily require that you be in conversation with other people or, or dialogue with other people. It can be just a thing that you have yourself with the world. And I think that's a lot easier to trust in than when you have uh, lots of other people in play. And as you know, people co- create complications. Yeah, they, they certainly <laughs> do. That's the yeah. whole thing about people. They're complicated. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Well, that's really interesting. And you've got an interesting story. Um, it sounds like we are going to take a super quick break before we go into your work around the body. Can you let people know where they can find you? And your book? Yeah, the best place to find me is on my website, which is ericamather.com, E-R-I-C-A-M-A-T-H-E-R, very basic spelling.com. And there's some options, some click-through buttons there to, to get the book. But I urge you, if you have a local bookseller, to go in and ask them for it and be in support of your local bookseller. Great. Good. Thank you for that. We're going to come back in a minute and talk some more about the process of learning to love your body. Hang on. Thank you for listening to the Superpower Network. If you're ready to transform yourself and transform the world through podcasting, we invite you to join us. We co-create a non-competitive, collaborative environment designed to support you as you step into your greatness. Go now to superpowerexperts.com and click on the Programs tab to get started today. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Kristen Maxwell, and I'm talking to Erica Mather. So, Erica, you know, some of the programs and the work you do with yoga seems to be around um, helping people to make peace with their body, um, both in terms of against unrealistic beauty standards and also just in trusting their body. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So generally, what? Uh, how did you get there? And what is the work that you would say you're doing? I got there through engaging with my own self around this particular problem, which is mistrusting the body, having misgivings about the way that it looks, having uh, doubts about how people are reacting to me or feeling bad about the way people are reacting to me. And so I got to it through working on myself and then generating a, a program called the Adore Your Body Transformational Program that then I launched and ran for a number of people, um, really like in the 40s or 50s, kind of like uh, not age range, but numbers of people. And that launched uh, my interest in writing the book so that I could bring the work of this Adore Your Body Transformational Program to more people uh, with a lower price point and more easier access. So what I work on with people specifically is this feeling that 
your body is betraying you or that you're not getting the results that you want in the world because of how it looks or how you feel about it. And all of my programs are basically addressing this particular problem and in in many different ways. So the book is is one way people can read, they can do the they can do the uh, the writing processes. I have a, a meditation course I call the Adore Your Body 7-Day Meditation Course. So we have some meditations that take people into relationship with their body. I have something coming up really soon, which is called the Adore Your Body New Year's Reboot, which is uh, about domains of life where you want to have results and kind of looking at the results that you want to get in those domains of life and how you how you anticipate expectations or results based on the way that your body looks or the way that you think people perceive it. But really the work essentially, Kristen, is not to change the body at all, (laughs) but to change your mind and to change the way that you treat yourself and to change the way that you think about your body and the way that you think about other people's reactions to your body. And then to use that as the ground upon which we get the results. Got it. And and so what do you find? I mean, I'm, I'm a female (laughs) and I living in Southern California, grew up on the beach and I have three daughters. And so there's very much uh, body awareness, the Mm -hmm. the female body awareness in my family, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. and, And what, how do you find that people often um, end up at in these states of um, not relating to their body well or of worrying about how it's being perceived? You know, what are you finding? Is it just fear about feeling ugly or, you know, what, or what is it? It's usually, it's usually weight related. Okay. So it's it's not necessarily so much like I have an unattractive face as it is that I have an, an unattractive body. So usually it's with regards to weight, uh, unfortunately. You know, and so what I find is a lot of people will come to me because they have some dissatisfaction around the, their weight and how they are perceived of in the world because of their weight and how they feel about themselves because of their weight. Now, let me just side note that I'm not saying that everybody who comes to me um, has a problem with their weight at all. Sometimes people who are very naturally thin or slender have a funny feeling about their body or the way that they're perceived. Sometimes it's women who are short and therefore infantilized have a funny feeling about the way about their body and the way that it's perceived in the world and the way they're treated as a result and the results that they get because of it. So it's not necessarily um, people who might uh, call themselves fat or the world might classify as fat. It's not necessarily that sometimes it's very, very attractive people <laughs> by, by all measures of social standards who have um, uh, misgivings about themselves. It's, it's a very interesting thing, how people perceive their body and how they behave because of that perception and what happens to them in their lives as a result of that. Yeah. And how do people end up? Well, and do you find that people end up having 
um, inaccurate perceptions of their body or distorted perceptions? Or is it more just this doesn't meet society's standards and so therefore I just know it's not good? Sort of that belief point. All of the above. It really depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people have distorted ideas about their body, for sure. I would say I was probably one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a, a, an objection often to my running these programs is like, well, you're pretty. And you're by socially, you know, by social mm-hmm. standards, you have like an ideal body in a way. Right. But but that doesn't necessarily that a per- mean that the person living in the body has that experience of it. So sometimes it can be a distorted uh, uh, perception. Sometimes it can be that uh, you f- a person feels the weight of society and and is tends towards self beratement anyway, and so they internalize that. Sometimes it's that people legitimately have bodies that aren't socially acceptable, and they're working to grapple with that. Like, how do you make sense of that? Do you change yourself to suit society? Do you change your mind to make yourself happy? So there are a lot of different pathways. And um, I kind of handle them all, actually. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's, it's a funny thing because how people experience themselves is very personal and has to do in many ways with their, you know, their childhood experience, their, their family of origin. Uh, how they are sort of pre uh, their character, right? How they are pre prepackaged to to absorb the messages from society. So it's it's a lot of different pathways. Yeah, I do know that I have a number of um, I'm aware of a number of girls with eating disorders now. Mm-hmm. Um, a huge number of them actually it's in, in our area and it's, um, you know, it's, it's very, very, it's very unhealthy, right? Obviously. And there's so much um, sadness around Mm it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a really great eating disorder program. I mean, but it sounds like, you're not so much working around the eating disorder part of it. It's more, okay, now let's make peace with yourself wherever you are. Or, or, or do you do work with eating disorders out of curiosity? No, I, I, in the past, I have worked as a holistic health counselor. So I've guided people to make choices that work better for them around food. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I am not, uh, I am not certified to work with eating disorders. And, and I do, when people come into my programs, if it seems like they have a, a clinical eating disorder, I require that they are also working with an eating disorder specialist. Yeah. But what I've found is that eating disorders are a symptom. Eating disorders are a symptom of a deeper misunderstanding about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So it's very rare. It's very rare that people have an eating disorder because they are incapable of feeding themselves properly or, 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 or not overeating or not puking or sticking a finger down their throat or 
you know, refraining from taking laxatives. It's human beings are capable of these, these basic self-care functions to, to a great degree. So the reasons that, that humans are compelled to those behaviors are, are something else. It is, I mean, anorexia nervosa is actually, um, is a psychiatric disorder. Uh, we, we, we know this quite well right now, right? It's, it's, it's an eating disorder, but what it is, is a psychiatric disorder. So how does a person make sense of themselves in the world and then decide that they are going to, that they are going to uh, use food as the tool by which they are going to modify their experience of themselves in the world. Mm. But that's, that's a very interesting, interesting conundrum. And, and obviously the food body relationship is a very basic one. Um, it is, it is, uh, it is how the, how the body is sustained and, and, and we're led to believe that, um, you know, we have this saying, you are what you eat, you know, when it's like, yeah, you, you are what you eat, but you don't look like what you eat, <laughs> you know, like, you know, luckily like, head. <laughs> correct. Right. I right. mean, it's like, so, so, so there's a, there's a misunderstanding that if you eat a certain way, you will look a certain way. And that just isn't necessarily the case because everybody is unique. Every human is unique. And so how your body is going to react to that diet or that way of eating is very different from the way another person is going to react to that diet or that way of eating. So of course the girls, the young people and the boys too, because actually um, boys are, are now experiencing eating disorders that kind of, they're, they're kind of lockstep with girls. It's about mm-hmm. the same, the same instances. So they're making this connection between how they look and how they eat and, and then deciding that the way that they're going to alter the way they look is through how they eat. And this is in some ways a sensible approach and in other ways, a deranged approach <laughs> Yeah, because the truth of the matter is you can't really change the way that you look that much, right. you know, and, and would, would it be better just to, to shift our approach to taking care of the body and then finding out how it reacts as a pro as opposed to what eating disorders are is a form of abuse. Mm-hmm. Eating disorders are a form of self-abuse instead of depriving the body, starving the body, um, uh, abusing the body, like instead of that approach, which is all about objectification and deprivation, right? What would the, what would happen if the body was well taken care of? And then find out what it find out what it looks like, right? But but the but the messaging is not that the messaging is there's something wrong with you, and and young people of course uh, are are material in a way their understanding of the word is material. So when they say there's something wrong with you, usually they'll look for something concrete they can latch onto, and the most concrete thing in the world that you have is your body. So we'll go about trying to change our bodies in order to change ourselves. And this is actually like a very reasoned approach, right? If you change the way you are, 
your outer trapping may or may not change, but you can run the experiment and find out. I feel like I'm going off into very esoteric domain. Are you yeah. still with me? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm still with you. And, okay. and Svet, I guess what I'm wondering in is, is what is like a basic awareness that people need to get to in order to stop um, really blaming their body or sort of being at war with how their body is being perceived, either by themselves or by other people. Is there some awareness that you try to get to people, you know, good to get people to start to latch on to? Yeah, I think a fundamental, there's, there's a few things and those are great questions. The first, the first thing is your body is innocent. Mm. It didn't do anything wrong. It, it did not do anything to harm you. Body's innocent. Secondly, you didn't get any choice, right? You came into this world, born into a body that you didn't like choose, mm-hmm. right? So, so you are fundamentally like in a, in an arranged marriage <laughs> that yes. you didn't choose. Right. So, so, but, but people decide to blame the body and it's like, actually the body is innocent. It came into the world just the same way you did the being that lives in it with no choice. So it's innocent. And then I think beyond that, that understanding that you are a composite creature that is built of many attributes that are valuable besides your body. And unfortunately, girls are still taught that to be pretty is valuable. And I'm not saying that it isn't. It is valuable. Mm-hmm. Um but if you absorb that that is your primary form of value, then, then the body will be guilty. You'll be like, ah, it's not getting me what it wants. But I think if girls are taught that their value in the world, and I think we're in a very interesting moment, by the way, of like development in this regard, that women are valuable for something more than their, their looks or their ability to be of service or their capacity to bear children all wonderful things, by the way. I am not saying that those things are not wonderful, but if they're the only measure by which a woman is valuable, that's a problem. So I feel like we're at a very interesting moment where where I think that girls' contribution, women's contribution to the world as valuable because of a female perspective is is, um, having more weight. Mm. So in summary... Yes. The mindset shift is the body is innocent. You came into this world with no say to the body you got wedded to. And that's going to be something you're going to be coming to terms with for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. And that you are valuable for things other than your body. Yeah. You know, one thing that's coming up for me is I also know a number of people who are um, dealing now with um, a lot of autoimmune disease mm. oh, where, wow. yeah. where their body, it's almost, they can't trust their body yeah. to react in a, you know, in a trustworthy, healthy way. And mm-hmm. I can see that the, and you know, there's sort of almost like this, war that gets built up between the body 
and the peep, the person like Mm -hmm. I feed it all the good foods and still it does this. And I take the, you know, I have all these weird responses to medicines and situations. And I can see that these would still, that, that a big part of this is to recognize you're not at war with your body. That's a great perspective, which is why my book is called your body, your best friend. (laughs) Because hopefully, I mean, we don't have a frame of reference for your body being your best friend. Even like if your best friend were sick, would you be like, nah, you've let me down. (laughs) Right. You wouldn't, you wouldn't treat your best friend that way. You would be like, Oh, you're sick. Oh, you're, you're chronically sick. Oh, okay. And and also something I should say is, is I, I have a chronic illness. I get migraine headaches. So a lot even of my work and my thought process around this is, is me coming to terms with just some of the things you said is like, what is it to have a relationship with a body that is chronically ill? Mm-hmm. And you, you can, you can, you can move forward being angry and bitter and resentful and disappointed, but those energies aren't really that helpful. Are they yeah. real? Yes, they are real. So you can be like, I'm feeling resentful today. I'm experiencing some resentment <laughs> towards mm-hmm. my body and then be like, and it's not helpful. So I'm going to put it down. Because the resentment and the bitterness actually gets in the way of you dealing with the reality of what's occurring now and and responding accordingly. Yeah. And the other thing that's so interesting is they've learned so much is, you know, I suppose if you're at body, then you're in, then in a height, more heightened stress response. And when you're in a stress response, you're less likely to heal. So it's almost like a circle. It is. <laughs> a, yeah. A cycle. Yeah, it is 100% a hundred percent a cycle. Yeah. And I think, you know, we are living in a time of unprecedented toxicity, both in our environment and energetically and emotionally. And so the fact that you are seeing more and more people with autoimmune responses to me is not surprising. No. Um, and so I think that that the fault is, you know, not to be laid at the feet of the body, per se but to know that the body is having a reaction to the environment in which it exists mm-hmm. is a whole different perspective. Right? Yeah. Were, 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 were your genes set up to give you lupus or migraines or, or, you know, Epstein bar, you know, or, you know, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, like, were you set up to like be treated predisposed to that? Maybe. Right. But I think what we're what's what we're seeing more and more is that it is pretty much the environment that flips the switch on those predispositions. Yeah. So, again, it's not the body. So how do you so if somebody is, you know, that they can really start to. Get, you know, put down this sort of anger at their body and start to be like, okay, this is what I've got. And so now what am I going to do? How do you, do you find that yoga and body awareness and things like that help with making peace? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, to make peace 
implies that you are in relationship. Mm. And if, if you're not already in relationship, then it's hard to make peace. Does that make sense? You can be yeah. angry at someone you're not in a relationship. You can, you can be angry at someone you're not in a relationship with. You can hold that energy, but in order to make the peace, you have to come into the relationship. And so yoga, at least for me, and you know, that's my modality. It might not be your modality, but yoga is the modality that I've used to come into relationship with the body, to communicate with the body. I say the body doesn't speak English. The body speaks breath, it speaks movement, it speaks touch, it speaks food. Those are the primary languages of the body, right? So if you want to come in relationship with the body, you need to look at those four um, pathways and make sure that you're attending them well. Because to be a best friend, you can't be cruel or vicious or deprive or objectify, you know, which is mostly what people do to their bodies. To be a best friend, you have to listen and communicate and provide and support and be understanding and patient and generous. You know, those are the energies that you bring into a relationship that becomes a best friend relationship. So if someone has arrived already at the place of, I am ready to put down my anger, that's great. First of all, that's a huge step because that means that you've already crossed the bridge of realizing that the anger is not getting you what you want anyway. Mm -hmm. right? And then come into relationship and then alter your behavior in order to get the kinds of outcomes that you want in your life. Mm -hmm. Outcomes in health, outcomes in relationship, outcomes at work. Outcomes also in spirituality. Those are the four domains that I've identified as places where people want outcomes. Mm -hmm. And so can you give an example of how altering, you know, coming into relationship with the body and altering your behavior, you know, through actually, you know, speaking to your body through yoga and supporting it, how that changes um, the reactions to you elsewhere or to the outcomes to you elsewhere? Yeah, I, I think it's fun. It's kind of basic in a way when you have a self-assuredness in your relationship with yourself, you then possess the unicorn mm -hmm. of things that people want. You possess self-esteem. Right? You have a relationship with yourself that is positive that then engenders positive self-esteem. And when you have positive self-esteem, people often perceive that as confidence. Mm -hmm. When you have positive self-esteem, you can do things like I mentioned at the beginning. You can trust yourself. When you have positive self-esteem, you are you probably feel more free to behave in ways that are more authentic to you. Mm -hmm. And when you when you have that, and when you behave that way, you get different outcomes in relationship, I think. I mean, I talk about this with, with my boyfriend, for instance. It's like, I want you to always have the facts. Because when I'm authentic and you have the facts, then you can make decisions based on truth and reality. Mm -hmm. And then you get better outcomes. 
Yes. Do you see how that goes? But, yeah. but if you're in, so I mean, people who are confident generally have better outcomes at work, right? You know, yeah. so yeah. people, so this is, the, this is the foundational cornerstone issue, I think, to kind of like outcomes everywhere. Yeah. And I, I didn't mean it as a trick question. I mean, a big part of the work oh, I no, do with I people think that. Is, mm-hmm. is around changing their energy. Because mm-hmm. if you change the, your energy, you change who you are and how you yeah. show up. And then the world yeah. changes around you. So yeah, I totally yeah. get it. Yeah. I didn't think it was a trick question. I, okay, I, good. <laughs> you, 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 you just wanted a concrete example, which is yeah. a very reasonable thing to ask for when we're getting very heady and very esoteric. Absolutely. Yeah. Especially with people who don't sit around thinking about these things all day like we do. <laughs> for sure. But for yes. sure. It, and it will, it just is that energy of you knowing when you feel good in yourself, there's a way in which you give off energy and people feel mm-hmm. that. And when you don't feel good, you're shut down and your light doesn't show. And then you get shut down from other people too. So, yeah. 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 Now, I also want to say like, there are always, there's consequences to all of this. Like there's consequences to not feeling good about yourself. There's also consequences to feeling good about yourself. And that is, you know, the moth is drawn to the flame, right? So when you shine bright there, you will get different reactions. And I just want, you know, for, for anybody who's listening to think like, gosh, if I get, if I just love myself more, I'll always get great reactions. Actually, that's not true, right? Sometimes when you love yourself, that is confronting to other people, right? Because they see mm-hmm. that you love yourself or they see that you have confidence and the people who are positive are going to be like, Ooh, I want to hang around with that people person. And the people who aren't quite self-assured or positive, or, you know, sometimes they will react negatively. So, so I just want to like, I want to put that little caveat out there. Like when you shine bright, the haters sometimes will show up. (laughs) Yeah, no, you're right. That's a very good point. You you become threatening to other people in a way. Yeah. And that I think sometimes is, for women in particular, a little, a little objection. Like it's, it's easier for me to stay small, not like myself because that isn't confronting to other people. Yes. Yes. And it's very funny to have to do a lot of work with people around that visibility, that fear of, so, so much we've learned about what it means if you shine bright and mm-hmm. the rules that you're breaking that you don't even know that you are keeping as rules. It's yeah. So, yeah, it's so interesting. And it's, it's very current. I mean, I think I, I, I want to just say like to, to you and to my listeners, I was just having a moment of that today with my yoga teacher. I had a private session with my yoga teacher on a forest for the first time in my life. And we were working really deep and I felt really sad and then really like worried about being misunderstood all of a sudden. I was like, I fear being misunderstood. I was very interesting. And she's, I didn't say this to Anna at all, but she was Mm -hmm. like, like, don't hide, like, don't hide. Like, and, and I, uh, so I just want to say like, even for people who are running their own businesses and have written a book and like helping other people, 
that this is still like a real thing. Oh, yes. You know what I'm talking about. So I think our list, it's useful for our listeners to know, like, it's not like you fly above that forever. (laughs) Oh, gosh, no. No. Really what you do is you learn how to recognize when you're going into it, stop yourself, shift yourself out of it faster without it taking over. At yeah, least that was a, my experience. Yeah. And that was a great little summary of, of the process, but that process might happen in the matter of a second, or it might happen in the matter of like three months. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, you recognizing it, stopping it, shifting yourself out of it, going in a different direction. It can happen like boom, or it could be like, Ooh, longer unfold. Yep. I, I, I figured it was a huge victory, especially when I first started this, if I could catch it after a day instead of a week, <laughs> oh yeah that's, that's fast like, that's fast look at me go yeah. yeah and that's what and that's one of the things I always laugh about you know with asking about what superpower you uncovered as a result of mastering your mind none of us have mastered our mind we're all just in the mm. process of it right mm. <laughs> yeah so. and I also I, I I just want to circle back it's such a great question but I also want to say mastery doesn't mean in uh, it, I want to talk about the word mastery and mind. That doesn't mean subjugation. It, to mm-hmm. me, it means part partnering with, partnering with. And that the mind, to me, uh, there's a Western notion of the mind as like your intellect, but the yogic framework for the mind is it's like your senses, and your senses being like uh, like also your intuition and your your empathy and your uh your uh the energies that come from the heart are also part of your senses right so i just wanted to reframe that also and that might be helpful for your listeners to understand my answer like trusting myself didn't mean just like i trusted my intellect or my ability to analyze it's that i trusted my body to be my ally with my mind and my senses and all the parts of myself that I am worthy of trusting. Yes. And that's a beautiful place to end. Um, and can you remind people again where they can find you and the name of your book? Yes, I would love to. You can find me at ericamather.com. That's my website. If you Google me, it will come up. And the title of my book is Your Body, Your Best Friend. End the confidence-crushing pursuit of unrealistic beauty standards and embrace your true power. And I hope that now that you've heard me talk about it, you will really understand uh, that the title of the book really captures my philosophy very neatly. And that if you read the book, you'll you'll really uh, plumb a lot of depths in this regard. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you for doing this work, um, you know, and sharing this with people because we can, we can use it for sure. And listeners, thank you for being here and showing up for yourselves until next time go out and remember you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 